Over the next few minutes this morning, I'm, I'm actually going to just give you a brief introduction today to uh, a sermon series that I'm beginning today called Led by the Spirit. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how long it will last. Um, it will not be as long as Revelation. Um, but I just feel like in the day, after we finished Revelation, I don't know if it became clear to you, but it became clear to me that we need the power of the Holy Spirit more than ever. And so how you can follow that up with an understanding of being less than, than fully empowered, I'm not sure. So I feel the direction of the Lord today. And today, how many of you know today is the day of Pentecost? It's, it's Pentecost Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, whether they be electronic, the I version, U version, whatever version you got, or the book version, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Acts chapter 1. I want to read uh, 4 through 5 there, and then verse 8, and then we'll turn to Acts chapter 2 just to set the stage for this introduction. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 state this. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he being Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave for Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Moving now to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Moving to Acts chapter 2 now, in the first four verses states this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Lord, as we approach your word today, we ask that you would never leave us in a place where we are powerless to fulfill your will and your desire. Lord, we have already had a marvelous experience with you, and so now I ask that you would build on that foundation your word and your instruction that we could then begin to dive into all that you have for us. Why should we live with less than everything you have for us? So lead us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is Pentecost Sunday, which is a Christian holiday that's observed on the seventh Sunday following Easter, and it celebrates the receiving of the Holy Spirit by the early church. It was known as a day in which the Spirit descended upon the disciples and the apostles. Following this, Peter stepped out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and began to preach a sermon in which there were thousands that got saved that day and were converted in Jerusalem. We know that as we look at Jewish history, that the day of Pentecost was not something that just happened in the New Testament, that it was really a part of the Old Testament. Pentecost comes from a Greek name, but it actually was a feast of harvest that was celebrated by the Jewish people in the Old Testament. It was a celebration that began in the early weeks of harvest. And in the New Testament, John the Baptist prophesied the first Pentecost when Jesus would baptize in power and the Holy Spirit and in fire. And he confirmed this prophecy because he stated to the disciples, he said, listen, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to you in my name, 
will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Now, as I was reading that, I thought, how fascinating in that. Is that not just like the prayers that we pray every morning? Lord, would you teach me from your word what it is that I need to know today? And then the longer you grow in the Lord, your devotional time, rather than becoming a teaching, ends up being more of a reminder. Lord, would you remind me today of what I already know and how to apply it? Uh, for the past several months, I've enjoyed reading devotions from my mother's Bible. Uh, after she passed away, I was given that. And one of the things I've enjoyed is that she writes in her Bible all kind of notes and all kind of dates in that. So I'm looking back, reading the dates in which there was a promise that God reminded her of something that she needed that day that encourages my heart. So for those of you that have a real Bible, a, a Bible that is made of paper, I encourage you to write in those. If nothing else, for the generations that follow you, so they will have something that they can hang on to and recognize that there were times when God taught you and reminded you of everything that he said of you. And then following his death and resurrection on the cross, he gave specific, definitive proof that he was alive. And he told the apostles and the disciples, listen, go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there and believe that the Holy Spirit, by faith, the Holy Spirit, the Father is going to give you this gift, and it will result in power in your life. Is there any of you that today would say you could not use more power of God in your life? This is what he promised them. And so after Jesus' ascension into heaven, when they're standing there gazing, looking up at the sky, just like any of us would, he told them at that point, go back to Jerusalem and wait there until on the day of Pentecost you will receive power. And then we know that the power of God came on them just as it was promised, and immediately we see a change in Peter which gives to us an understanding of the changes that may take place in our life after we have encountered the power of the Holy Spirit because Peter goes from being this weak-minded person to somebody who stands up in front of everybody in Jerusalem and proclaims the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'd been baptized. The rest of the disciples did not stay in the upper room. They didn't just bask in God's glory, but they went out and they began to proclaim the word and change the world. This was the beginning of the church as we know it today, that we sit in today, that we recognize today. It is one where God is doing his work through the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. I would say to you this, I would imagine that those that were a part of that first outpouring could not fathom what God is doing today, what the Holy Spirit would do in the future, because it is nothing short of miraculous. In fact, this relatively young Pentecostal charismatic movement now accounts for one out of every four people who claim that they are a child of God. 25% of all Christianity now claims to be Pentecostal, which means that that equals 680 million people living today are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Satan doesn't have a chance. I want you to just to think about that for a minute. He doesn't have a chance when the Pentecostal church gets up and begins to move in the power of God. Interesting enough about that is the fastest growing segment of the church are between the ages of 18 and 34. There is a hunger 
that is taking place in this generation that says, I don't want to hear about your testimony. I want my own Pentecostal testimony. I want to experience this for myself. So apart from the numbers, who are we as Pentecostals? How did this happen? Briefly, let me explain. And if you want to jot down some notes, here's the first point. There's a history of the Holy Spirit's ministry that moves through the whole Bible. The Bible describes the Lord God as a consuming fire in Hebrews chapter 12. And it sets the pace for us that oftentimes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was demonstrated by the presence of fire. In fact, we look through the history of it and we recognize that in Exodus chapter 2, Moses was standing in front of a burning bush that did not consume the bush. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit, and out of the conversation that he had there, he received his call into ministry. The Holy Spirit calls into ministry and did this through fire. We recognize a little later on in Exodus 13 that the fire of the Spirit was a column of flame that led the children of Israel. It guided them, and so we recognize that fire in the Old Testament was used as the presence of the Holy Spirit to give direction. Any of you ever needed direction in your life? Any of you ever pray, Lord, what am I supposed to do? In the Old Testament, they followed the flame. The power of the Holy Spirit then was displayed upon Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, where the fire of the Spirit was the manifest presence of God himself. That where he was, the flame of God was there as well. And then we get to the tent of meeting that's found in Leviticus chapter 9. And the fire represented there the difference between that which was natural and that which was supernatural. You've lived a certain way, but when the fire of God's presence comes, supernatural things begin to take place. We live in that today. Yes, we are human, and yes, we are physical and and fleshly, but when the power of the living God begins to fall upon his people, supernatural things take place, as was demonstrated by the fire of God's presence in Leviticus. The fire of God again provided confirmation with signs following when Elijah stared down the prophets of evil and said, you call upon your God, and they cut themselves, and they danced, and they did all of these things to a God that didn't exist. And then in the face of hundreds of those, he said, now pour water on my offering. Pour more water on it. And then he prayed a very simple prayer, and the fire of God's Holy Spirit came down and ate the entire offering and even left a bigger hole in the ground. That fire was a confirmation of God's supremacy. He is God over all. And let me tell you what that also means to us, particularly as we have finished this study of Revelation and recognized the day in which we live. There will be moments of time when as Pentecostal people that we will be faced with a lot of people that do not believe in our God. And what he is telling us is that we need to live with no fear, that we can face them down because our God is alive and well and will empower us to know what to say and what to do and how to live in that very moment. It's the confirmation of God's supremacy. We know that the Holy Spirit showed up like a fire that transported Elijah to heaven in a wonderful chariot experience. God answered King David's prayer when when he was asking for forgiveness for some things that he had done, and the Holy Spirit in its work came down and ate his offering, proving the Holy Spirit is at work in redeeming us and forgiving us of our sins. 
Fire appeared at the dedication of Solomon's temple, and it said, and the glory of the Lord filled the place because the fire of the Spirit was there. And the final manifestation of the Holy Spirit as fire took place after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It was here in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. It included the final manifestation as fire and the first manifestation of speaking in tongues. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, I want you to turn to this and I want you to underline this because this is going to come alive to you. And there's a song that we sang this morning that is biblically founded upon this verse. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, and I want you to underline the word separate. It separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me tell you what is happening as the birth of the new church takes place here. In the Old Testament, the power of the Holy Spirit had been limited to prophets, to priests, and to kings. As we get into the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus has ascended, he has told his believers, I will empower you individually. And that flame, which had been one fire, separates right in their midst and falls and rests individually, indicating that today you and I are eligible to be fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everything that God had done through the Old Testament and brand new things that he will do through the New Testament. We today are eligible for the flame of the Spirit to be at work within our lives. And as that flame separated, it became a brand new day for the church. It became a brand new day for believers. And then in response to that, they began to speak in other tongues. So what is the Spirit doing? Another way to frame our identity as Pentecostals is to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of us as individuals. It is never sufficient for us simply to describe the Holy Spirit as, as an entity that does work without having a personal intersection with that power, with the person of the Holy Spirit. It becomes easy, and this is, this is one of the dangers, and I know that I have so many friends in here, and we've had these discussions. Our, our, our fear is that if we don't encounter the living Holy Spirit today, that we are just going to have a sign on the door that says that we are Pentecostals, but no power to follow it up with. That we will become a title of something that we fail to tap into the power of. Jesus promised that his Holy Spirit would be an advocate who helps us who instructs us, who reminds us of his word, who testifies of Jesus, who guides us into all truth, who glorifies Christ, who empowers us to spread the gospel. So when Jesus said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, that includes every one of us here today. We are capable and eligible to be used in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The best way to describe the way that the Holy Spirit works within his believers is this. It's in us and with us and through us. The Spirit lives in us. One of my favorite parts about every Sunday is when we get to the end and I give an invitation for those who, during the service, the Spirit's just been knocking on the door of their life. They may never have made a decision to receive Jesus as their Savior. They maybe are here because they were invited by a friend 
So many of the conversations end with, man, I just felt like I was among family when I entered in. That's the way God is. He's an embracing God. But when we give the opportunity for people to encounter Christ in in all of his grace and forgiveness, it's rare that we don't have a Sunday that somebody doesn't come to know Christ. And as we pray with them and express it to them, what we tell them is that you now, at this very moment, at the decision that you have made and the prayer that you prayed, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. He's cleaned house. Everything else that was there, he has moved out and he takes up residence. You now become a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and your life will be infused with his presence. And so when he takes up residence in us, he begins to enable us to move the Bible from a boring book to a book that's alive and well. He takes the scriptures and they come alive to us. We also learn that the way that we saw people in the past begins to die and we see them through brand new eyes. In fact, new believers win more people to Christ than old believers do. They can't wait to tell their friends what has happened. And the longer we're in Christ, the smaller our circle of influence outside the church grows. And so there's there's new life that comes as a result of all of that. But salvation experience, receiving Jesus Christ in your life, is what qualifies you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered to do what God wants you to do. In fact, in Ephesians 5.18, the Scripture says, Do not be drunk with wine. That's that's what the world runs to when they want to escape. Don't be drunk, because that leads to debauchery. Instead, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, there's something of the Spirit that satisfies us when nothing else can. So the Spirit lives within us. Secondly, the Spirit walks with us. The word that John used to describe the Holy Spirit is he's a paraclete or parakletos in Greek. It means an advocate, a helper, an intercessor, a counselor. Now, there's two words that I want you to distinguish between because they are going to be very helpful in this. The difference is paraclete and parasite. Paraclete and parasite. A paraclete is one that gives life to the host who comes and lives to impart resources, to impart blessing, and will diminish themselves to the benefit of the host. A parasite, which I would describe Satan and all of his demonic kingdom as, a parasite lives on or within the host to draw from them and withdraw from them health, to withdraw from them benefit, and they benefit themselves from the life of the host. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit who's representing him comes as a paraclete who comes to give life from himself into the host. And so I don't think it's a stretch for us to understand that that when the Spirit walks with us, He becomes our life coach. That's a, a popular term today. You know, people are looking for life coaches. He's here. His name is God the Holy Spirit. Now, He may not work out with you, but He will work with you and lead you and guide you to know more about Jesus. Listen, One of the things about being Pentecostal is we're not Pentecostal for the experience itself. But Pentecostalism is a hallmark of our expression. Some of you have come from church backgrounds and and histories that if your parents or grandparents walked into our church, they would be scared to death because you don't talk in church. You don't respond in church. You know, the fact that people are, are lifting their hands and, are, you know, are speaking and, and an amen every now and then would scare them to death. Let me tell you something. 
Uh, my God is alive, <laughs> and he, he's doing something here. And, and the expression of my, I don't go to a football game and a basketball game and not say anything. And if I can do that there, how much more so should my soul express the joy of the Lord as we are hungry to know him? And so there's this expression that comes from the life of the Spirit within us as he walks with us. And let me say this to you. At every interview that we do with people that are seeking credentials with the Assemblies of God, we ask them this question. At what point is it ever appropriate that a message in tongues, an interpretation, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge would ever be equal to the authority of Scripture? The answer is never. It's never equal to Scripture. As Pentecostal people, what we understand is that when an individual speaking under the prompting of the Holy Spirit speaks, whether it be, as we heard this morning, a message in tongues, it must be interpreted in a corporate setting, and that that interpretation then we hold up to the Word. The Word of God is our final authority on everything. If it's not scriptural, we dismiss it. And if somebody ever comes up to you and says, listen, God is giving me new revelation that is equal to the Scripture, you run as fast as you can because they are a heretic. The Word of God will be the foundation by which we build everything upon. And His guidance will always be clear that we are to surrender to God's will. So a Spirit-led church, a Spirit-filled church will focus on the Word of God, allowing Him to transform our minds and permeate our lives by changing the way we think and changing the way we live. That means that we rely on walking with the Spirit. Thirdly, the Spirit acts through us. People of the Spirit are on a mission. In the first chapter of Acts, the mission had been front and center. It was to tell the world about Jesus as the Spirit empowers. Our Lord promised, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then following that, you will be my witnesses to an ever-expanding world. Now, I want you to look up here at our vision statement. Locally to globally, pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus. This is what we as a church exist to do as Grace Assembly. This is our vision. It's the bullseye that we are aiming at. I don't want one person locally or in the whole world to miss out on the salvation of Jesus Christ. We as a body are working toward that. That is our vision statement. How do we do that? Well, there's a mission statement over here. We do that by being God's people. And then you see that middle one? Living in God's power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, which empowers, which gives wisdom, which gives boldness, which gives courage, which helps us understand and love all of the lost souls around the world, Lord. Living in your power, then we will be able to fulfill God's purpose. Our purpose at Grace Assembly is entirely tied to being Pentecostal people. We can't do it without the Spirit. Missional living is about being a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we love like Jesus loves, motivated by the Spirit on the inside, then people will recognize something different about you than who they serve. And they will see it in your, the way that you are compassionate and extend mercy and speak truth because you will speak as the Spirit speaks in the love of God. And so the Holy Spirit, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, gives us courage beyond our human nature. And we don't have to look any farther than Peter as the first example of that. 
from a coward to a Pentecostal preacher with tremendous results. God will do that with you. Pentecostalism is not lived out in the strength of our convictions or the volume of our praise. It's lived out in the conviction of our heart to see the lost one to Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, how do we pass this on? I love the diverse expression that we have within our fellowship, the way that we express. You can go to different Assemblies of God churches, and each of them will have different personalities, but you should know foundationally what they believe. But I've come to the point where I begin to understand that as an Assembly of God church, and since I'm the pastor of this one, I do not want the best years of Pentecost to be in the rearview mirror. I'm not satisfied listening to my parents' testimony or expressing my testimony. I want this generation to rise up under the power of the Holy Spirit and have their own testimony. I mean, for heaven's sake, we used a QR code today. Who knows the creativity that God is birthing in this generation? that needs those of us who have had that experience to walk alongside of them and put an arm around them and give them the freedom to reach their generation with the message that they need to give under the power of the same Spirit that empowered us. God is up to something, and He wants us to pass that on. Part of that means that we are going to have to give margin in our service and margin at the end of service so that we have time to pray and time to seek and time to press in on the Lord. My heart's desire is to see many baby boomers who have experienced their Pentecost to, to pass that on to other generations of millennials and Gen Zers. They need to have their own Pentecost. And each subsequent generation can be fully empowered for what God wants to do in them because it's to all people and to all generations. Worship team, would you please come? In the spring of 2020, when COVID-19 was just beginning to take hold of our nation and our world, my former youth pastor, Greg Mundus, who is now the executive director of World Missions for the Assemblies of God, came down with a very, very strong case. He was fighting for his life. There were updates on the AG website regularly as we prayed for him, and honestly, there were many days it didn't look good. But God brought tremendous healing to him and prove that He is a miracle-working God that can do anything when people of God begin to pray. About that time, I interacted with Beth Grant. She, Beth and her husband, David Grant, are executives in charge of Project Rescue, meaning that they are, they're trying to spare girls from the sex, sex slavery around the world. She wrote in an article that I read this week, she said, I was telling people as I'm on the phone with them at the end of every conversation, she said, I found myself saying, now you be safe. You stay safe now. She goes, I was telling my kids, I was telling other missionaries, I was telling every minister I knew, all of our friends, now you be safe now, you be safe, you stay safe. And she said, the Holy Spirit began to convict me of those words. She said, I soon became uncomfortable with them because I heard a still small voice challenge me. And she wrote, Beth, never in your life have I called you to the priority of staying safe. I've always called you to the priority of staying ready. Ready to hear my voice, ready to obey, 
ready to discern what I'm doing and ready to move in obedience wherever I send you to do whatever I want you to do. But I'm calling you first. Yes, you're to live wisely, but I'm calling you first to stay ready. So don't you dare miss now what I'm about to do in this situation. She said, it led David and I to begin to want to see what God was up to. And as he began to reveal his plan, she said, it was frightening because I was confronted, David and I were confronted with a call of God that when we looked at the task at hand, she said, I soon realized there was not enough power of God in me to take authority over what he was asking me to do. The power of Satan in the areas where he was leading us was so great. She goes, I recognized I don't have enough of the power of God to do this. And so she said, I began to live desperately and dependently on a powerful, fresh anointing of his spirit as I battled the forces of hell themselves. As I begin to think about that, God never called his church to safety. We have oftentimes associated the blessing of the Lord with good things and health and ease and prosperity. And He's never called us to that. He's called us to be ready. That in the middle of a spiritual warfare, he said, I will pour out, pour out my spirit upon all flesh so that there is a readiness available to confront the forces of hell themselves and overcome them in the power of the name of Jesus.